It's the true meaning of Christmas. Luke chapter 1 is where we find ourselves. Join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with our Bible teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Welcome to our program. Over the course of the next two broadcasts, we'll spend time here in Luke chapter 1, taking a look at the true meaning of Christmas, which means that God sent us the Savior in the person of Jesus Christ. As we'll see here specifically in verses 68 through 78 of Luke chapter 1, salvation is God's doing, not our doing. Please, Make it a point to join us and be encouraged from God's Word today as we take a look at the true meaning of Christmas. Here now with our broadcast of Graceful Truth, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Turn over in the gospel to uh, your, your gospel to the gospel of Luke. And this morning I want to speak to you about the true uh, meaning of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, today we get Christmas kind of cluttered up with a lot of different stuff. And it's not that this stuff is bad, necessarily. Some of it is, but most of it's probably harmless. But it's a matter of keeping our focus and our attention on the reason for the season, that being the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I read an illustration this past week. There was a church who was doing a, uh, you know, their annual Christmas play with all the kids and everything. And uh, they got to the part of the play where the, they were going to focus in on the Savior, the newborn Savior in the manger. And uh, they had this special light bulb hid underneath the manger that would shine really bright on the, on the baby. And everything else was going to be dark. And so it would be all the focus of everybody would be on this baby. And at the appropriate moment, the stage lights were turned off. And the poor boy controlling the light board turned them all off. So it was completely dark in this church. And it was kind of an awkward moment. And all of a sudden, you heard one of the shepherd boys the little kids that were acting, they said, hey, you switched off Jesus. <laughs> Turn him back on. And everybody laughed, obviously. But you know what? Even though we know Christmas is all about the birth of the Savior, it's easy for us. It really is. It's easy for us to get caught up in the cultural approach to the holiday and literally switch off Jesus. Well, there's nothing wrong with dreaming of a white Christmas or having a Christmas tree or gifts to give exchange to one another. The real meaning of Christmas deals with a much more urgent matter. And I would propose to you this morning that urgent matter is none other than our salvation. If it wasn't for Christ being born, we would have no salvation available to us. And when you stop and you think of Christmas in light of salvation, salvation has little to do with chestnuts roasting on an open fire, even though I love that song. And it doesn't have anything to do with warm and fuzzy feelings of sitting by the, the, uh, you know, the fireplace and looking at the Christmas tree and all the lights. Salvation deals with kind of a messy situation, <laughs> Salvation deals with a messy fact that basically sinners need to be rescued. They need to be rescued from God's judgment. You don't hear that around Christmas time. God sent his son, beloved, to bear the judgment so that guilty sinners like you and I, who deserve that judgment, could be forgiven. And you know what? If Christmas time, if none other time of the year, we don't think of the fact that God sent a Savior 
I have to tell you, we definitely switched off Jesus. As the angel told the shepherds that night when Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, for today in the city of David there was, has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The, the theme of salvation comes through even through the prophecy of Zacharias in our text this morning in Luke chapter 1. He's the father of the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. You remember the story. And so I want to read for us Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. You can follow along in your Bibles there. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path way of peace. Now remember, this is the Father of John the Baptist. You recall that Zacharias was a godly man. Some months before the angel had struck him dumb because he doubted the promise that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son in their old age. That's back in in verse 20 there. But now that the son was born and Zacharias' tongue was loosed, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He spoke this prophecy that focuses on literally the great salvation that God offers us and how he was going to bring it about. And basically, the theme of this passage is simply this. Christmas means that God sent us the Savior in the person of Jesus Christ. I would bet that most of us at this time of year, our greatest need at Christmas time is not for more things. Most of us are pretty blessed as a people. We have clothes on our back. We have a roof over our head. We're able to provide. I don't think anybody here is going hungry or lacks of clothing. We've all got plenty of stuff, especially here in America. And so it's Not necessarily our greatest need to be adding more stuff. Neither is it for personal fulfillment. And yet, a lot of people think that's what they need. When you talk to people on the street, people are madly trying to find personal fulfillment. I would even venture to say our greatest need is not even for the love of family and friends. Even as important as that may be, that's really not our greatest need. When you boil it right down, you could go through a list of things, but just for time's sake, the greatest need, beloved, of every person who was ever born is for salvation. That's the greatest need. Because the Bible says that all have sinned, and we've not just sinned against one another, we've sinned against God, who is holy. And the Bible says that if we die in our sins, we will, for all eternity, face the judgment of God. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, if you die without Christ, you're going to be going to hell. And they say, oh, yeah, I'm going to party down there with my friends. That's not what hell's about, beloved. (laughs) It's not a party. Hell wasn't even created for us humans. However, we're going to go there if we don't put our faith and trust in 
and trust in Christ for our forgiveness. It was created for Satan and the demons. That's what the Bible says. And the false thing that even some well-meaning Christians say is that, you know what? If you go to hell, you're going to be out of the presence of God for all eternity. That's not really correct. Because the Bible basically tells us that if you go to hell and you die in your sins, you're going to be under the eternal wrath of God. The judgment of God is going to be present even in hell. And even the Psalms tell us, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to Sheol, hell, you're there. So we have to sometimes be careful of the words we use when we describe places like hell. But that's for all eternity. It's not just for a couple years till you annihilate the body. No. Hell is a place where the body doesn't burn up. It lasts forever. It's a place of torment. It's a place of judgment. Rightfully so. See, if God weren't able to judge sinners, then he wouldn't be a just God. And say someone robbed your house and you were in the courtroom and you saw the defendant there and, and he pled guilty. Yep, I ripped off your house and I took everything in it. And the judge said, you know what? I I really commend you on your honesty. You're free to go. What would you say? Wait a minute. (laughs) That's not a just judge. He left this guy off the hook. See, a just judge would never do that. A just judge would have to penalize that crime, that sin. God is a just God. He judges sinfulness. He judges unrighteousness. And God's salvation reconciles us with him, and it gives us a hope both now and for all eternity. Our primary need is to know that we have received God's salvation. And salvation is the theme here in this prophecy from Zacharias. He mentions it in verse 68. He mentions the word redemption. He mentions it again in verse 69, 71, and in verse 77, he uses the word salvation. He uses the word being delivered, the phrase being delivered in verse 74. So it's definitely on his mind. And I want us to draw out four basic principles or four basic themes here as it relates these verses to salvation. And the first one is simply this. Salvation is God's doing, not ours. Salvation is God's doing, not ours. The Bible clearly says that salvation is from the Lord. Would you agree with that? I mean, that's what it says. And it it comes through strongly in these verses. And if you note there in verses 68 and even also in 78... The first phrase there that the the Lord God says in verse 68 is, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has what? Visited. He has visited. We didn't go searching for him. He came and he visited us. Why? Because he saw us in our sinfulness. He saw us in our helpless condition. He took pity on us. He came down to meet our enormous need in the person of a Savior. Picture yourself out maybe down in the ocean or by a riverbank and you see a little child venturing out into the waves and pretty soon they're caught up in the, the tumult of the thing or whatever. What would any normal adult do? They wouldn't just go, oh, look at that kid. It's going to drown. No. Anybody worth their salt would say, man, we have to save that child. And they'd jump in the water and they would, they would rescue the child because they have compassion on that little infant. That's what God did for us. He had compassion on us. He visited us. And this prophecy is throughout the Old Testament. You want to have some fun with your Bible program or whatever, type in the word visited and and go through the Old Testament. It's found in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 and 25. The theme of God visiting his people. That's where it really comes from. 
As Joseph was dying in Egypt, remember, he predicted that God would visit his descendants and he would even bring them from there, this, this land of captivity, to a land that he had promised through an oath to Isaac and Abraham, Abraham Isaac, and Jacob. In the Septuagint, the Greek uses kind of a, a phrase from Hebrew. And it, it really means this, that word. You can, you can do a word study of, of that visited us. And it really has the idea that this phrase, it says, in visiting, God will visit you. <laughs> That's really what it means. It's kind of a, a double emphasis. In visiting, God will visit you. It means definitely God will surely visit you. And then Joseph repeats back in Genesis, at the visitation with which God shall visit you, then you shall carry my bones with you. Now remember, there was an interval of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And we read of God telling Moses in Exodus 3.16, visiting, once again, I have visited you. Also in Exodus chapter 4, also in Exodus chapter 13. And so, even here in Zechariah's time, Zechariah's time, Israel had not heard from the Lord in how many years? 400. 400 years. Silence. God didn't say anything. And now we find the nation of Israel under this yoke of, of Roman oppression. And it seemed almost as if God had somehow forgotten his people. Have you ever been at that point in your life, even as a Christian? We get ourselves in some pretty dire situations sometimes. And when we get in those situations, sometimes we're tempted to think, man, has God forgotten about me? Doesn't God see my needs? Doesn't God care? It seemed as if God had forgotten his people. But then, as the story goes on, after the birth of the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist, knowing the angel's promise to Mary that she would bear a son, and that son would be the, literally the son of God, Zacharias, is prof he prophesies and he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us. It's the same theme. Salvation is God's doing. It's his initiative. It's not ours. I mean, if you, if you were living in, in total poverty, you didn't even have a roof over your head, no clothes on your back, and one day a billionaire came to visit you, I'm sure you would have at least a small hope that somehow he would take pity on you and maybe give you some help, give you something. Well, God has done more than that, beloved. He truly has. He not only saw our desperate condition, but he sent us help. He actually took our human condition on himself. The Bible says that he took our sin upon him when he hung on that cross. He became sin for us. He took on human flesh. And even as a little baby, he was subject to frailty, yet without sin. And if that weren't enough, he even took on himself our own sin, bearing the penalty that we deserve. And it was all God's doing. It was his, his plan from the beginning, from eternity past. And the reason was, is because verse 78 says that he has mercy. He has tender mercy. Not because we deserved it. You run into a Christian who says, oh yeah, yeah, I, I found God. I got saved. I made, I did this. I did that. I, you know, it's I, 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 I. Big red flag in my book. Are you thinking you saved yourself? Because last time I checked, God saves us. We don't save ourselves. And he doesn't save us because we deserve it. And God visited us, beloved, in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are many other evidences in our text that, that salvation is God's doing, not ours. It says in verse 68 there that, that basically he, he accomplished it. He redeemed his people. Uh, verse 69, he raised up the horn of salvation. Verse 60, uh, verse, uh, Psalm 132, verse 17, uh, tells us that a horn is a symbol of strength. 
such as a bull's horn. But here it points to the fact that salvation required God's mighty power. And the reason is because our enemy is so strong. He's not stronger than God, but he's strong. Our sin was vast. This, this requires the, the whole power of the mighty God to accomplish this. But you know what? God did it. He raised it up. He did it in accordance with all the prophecies that were foretold centuries before. That's why it says in verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. All this was prophesied. Wonderful historian Edersheim found that there's more than 400, listen to this, 400 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. And when you stop and you think about it, a prophecy was something that was foretold. And they didn't, they didn't prophesy generally. Oh, yeah, God's just going to send a Savior. No. They said when. They said basically where. Who was going to be. All this stuff. All this detail was prophesied. And Christ fulfilled it all. Furthermore, God sent the Savior in accordance with the oath of his covenant. That's what it says in verse 72 to 73. To show his mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. See, 2,000 years before Jesus Christ was born, God sovereignly chose Abraham. He was a pagan living in the city of Ur of the Chaldeans. And he said, Abraham, you know what? I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to give your descendants the land of Canaan. And I'm going to bless all their families throughout the earth. And it's going to happen all through you. That's in Genesis chapter 12. And during his ministry, Jesus told the Jews who confronted with him who constantly confronted him and and argued with him and contended with him because they were threatened by his presence. In John 8, 56, he says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. See, they weren't too glad to see Jesus. He was stealing their limelight because they were just pure religious people. But Jesus Christ was a descendant of Abraham in whom God's promise was fulfilled. God also raised up John the Baptist. He's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he did that in accordance with all the prophecies made hundreds of years before. All this just fits just perfectly. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, Malachi 3, Malachi 4, God predicted that he would send his messenger in spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way before the Messiah. So it's not just that he told that, hey, I'm going to send a son and here's how it's going to happen and everything. But he even went back and he said, I'm going to send somebody before my son comes. And I'm going to give you some details about him. Even though Zacharias and Elizabeth were humanly beyond their childbearing age, God sent his angel to promise them that they would have a son and that he would fulfill these prophecies. Verse 17 of chapter 1 of Luke, it says, and the reason it happened is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And my point is simply this. God did this apart from all human initiative. It's not like Zacharias and Elizabeth sat down and said, hey, why don't we plan this out? No. He did it apart from all human effort. He did it apart from all human merit or even ability. God planned it. He prophesied it. He carried it out. Even in spite of his servant Zacharias's doubts and inability to father a son, it still happened. The salvation God provided in Jesus Christ totally and completely comes from him. That's why we believe that we can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to work for it. All we can do is open our hand and receive it. And that runs kind of counterintuitive to our nature, doesn't it? I remember when I lived in Park City, Utah for a year, lived there for one winter back in uh, 83, 84 after I graduated from college and got to be a ski bum for about nine months. It was kind of neat. Worked at the, the resort there in Park City. 
And I remember my night job, because it's expensive to live there, my night job was a security guard at the Silver King Hotel. I think it's still there. Just five-star, beautiful place. And so I'd mosey in there about 11 o'clock, and I'd leave about 6 or 7 in the morning to go to my other job, a restaurant that I worked at during the day. And I remember uh, while I was working there, part of my job as security guard was to go pick up people at the airport down in Salt Lake City. And obviously that time of year you have horrible weather, so they had a kind of a 4 by 4 big van and everything. It was all fixed out pretty nice. So I was supposed to go down and pick up this individual from... uh, the airport, and I remember one day I picked up Frank Sinatra's daughter, Nancy, and their little entourage. They were a real <laughs> trip. But this one individual, his name was Mr. Silver, and I thought, that's weird. His name's Mr. Silver. I wonder if he, and he's staying at the Silver King Hotel. <laughs> this is kind of cool. And uh, everybody was upset in the hotel that had worked there before that I got this job, that I was going to go pick this guy up, and I couldn't figure it out. And before I left, the, the lady that did the books for the hotel at night, she said, you know, his plane's getting in late, so um, you know, just make sure you're there on time. And just to let you know, he's, he can be a very good tipper, so treat him well. I'm like, okay. So I drive this van down, you know, Route 80 down to Salt Lake City, little sign and everything, Mr. Silver, I'm waiting. And thing. He comes out. This guy's got, like, a Captain America suit on. I mean, the weirdest thing, like tights, a cape, big S on the thing. He's Captain Silver. That's his name. Weird. And, and I'm just thinking, it's just him, you know. He just had one suitcase. And he owned one of this. Hotel was part condos, part you could own these units. And he owned one of these. And so he gets, I take him to the thing. And I'm just thinking, wow, this, how do I respond to this guy, you know. And I remember getting back to the hotel. And I, I you know, got him up to the room and, and everything. And, and, you know, we didn't have much conversation. He just didn't. He spoke in the third person. I'm like, so where are you from? Oh, C- Captain Silver's uh, from San Diego. Okay. <laughs> you know, this is weird. And I remember dropping him off at, his, his, at the hotel door there and gave him his bag. And he just kind of said, thank you, and shut the door. And I thought, what? It's kind of a jerk. No tip, nothing. And I'm walking away, and all of a sudden he opens up and he goes, uh, excuse me, Steve. Uh, I'm like, do I call him Captain Silver, Mr. Silver? What do I say? I just said yes. And uh, he goes, uh, what time do you get off? I said, 7 o'clock in the morning. He said, can you have a pot of coffee at my door at 5 o'clock with a cup and half and half? I'm like, uh, sure, I can make that happen. Thank you. Slams the door. I'm like, all right. So I go down, and, and the lady reminded me, just just be good to this guy. So the next morning, you know, I get down there and put it on. He said, you know, don't, don't knock on the door or anything. I put the coffee up there, and this envelope comes out. Okay. That's for me, <laughs> you know. And it had my name on it. I thought, cool. So I'm walking away, and, and he made it a point. Don't knock on the door. So I'm walking away, and I'm going back down to the thing. And she goes, did, did he give you the envelope? Like, yeah, yeah, he gave me an envelope. Did you open it? Said, Not yet. He goes, Go ahead, open it up. The lady said, open it up. She goes, you'll be surprised. It was like 200 bucks. Cash, $200 bills. And I'm like, whoa. She goes, treat him right. This happens all week. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, during the day, this guy would go out on the slopes dressed as Captain Silver. <laughs> Literally. He had silver skis. He had this cape. He had this little helmet, like with a little... Weird. He would give out $20 bills to all the kids. Just kind of a neat guy. He wasn't a Christian, clearly. But he, he was just, you know, kind of a nice guy. 
And I remember part of my day job, I worked right there at the resort. So if I had a break, I could take a couple runs. And I remember seeing him, you know, as I was going up on the thing. I thought, man, I got to catch up to him and see, you know, what's, what's he doing? All these people around him. And I do. And it was funny because the kids would take the money and he would even give it to some adults. And, oh, no, 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 thanks. And he even had people coming up to him trying to give him something. My point is this. When someone tries to give us something just free, what do we think? We're suspect, right? It runs counterintuitive to our own ability just to receive it. It goes against the idea that somehow we deserve it. And sometimes we'll even reject it. That's how the world sometimes deals with salvation. When you say, you know what? This is a free gift. God wants you to have it. They say, wait a minute. What do I got to do? Nothing. Salvation is from the Lord. It's from God. It's apart from any merit. The Bible says that the reason he does that is so no one can boast. If you think that you can do something to save yourself or to provide for your own salvation, I'm sorry, but you don't understand what Christmas is all about. You don't understand what Christmas means. Salvation is God's doing, not ours. The True Meaning of Christmas. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area, and if not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And by the way, we do have a special candlelight Christmas Eve service that will take place here at the church. GracefulTruth.org is where you can find more information or call 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or again, visit us at the website GracefulTruth.org. That's GracefulTruth.org. We look forward to hearing from you and trust we'll see you next week when we continue our look at the true meaning of Christmas. Until next time, God bless. God bless.